the High Power Hangout is a podcast that promotes and supports firearms, sports, and firearm safety. I do not support crime, negligence, illegal actions, or misuse of firearms. Always treat every firearm as if it was loaded, point them in a safe direction, and never put your finger on the trigger until you intend to safely fire and always be aware of what's behind your target. Discussions on this podcast, write-ins, or guest appearances are not responsible for your actions or inactions as a result of content covered in the show. Do not use reloading data from the show without working up from a considerably more conservative charge and solely working up until a safe load can be obtained. Oh, you're gonna get stung in the arm. You're gonna get stung in the arm. Put your hand down the sleeve and you find a bumblebee. You're gonna get stung in the arm. Oh, welcome back to the High Power Hangout. I'm JP. Today's July 17th, 2022. You're probably wondering what the heck just happened in that intro. Well, we'll get to that. It involves a previously discussed tight-fitting jacket and a renegade bumblebee. By now, the NRA Nationals are over and we're coming up quickly to the start of Camp Perry. Things are happening, and not quite the way I had planned, for better or for worse, but I still have a plan. On a totally separate note, I think I'm actually going to bring this recording equipment to the national competition. I think it would be fun to do a few short, off-script daily rundown recordings after a few of the matches. Whatever says goes. Maybe what the day looked like overall, what went well, what went wrong, other highlights throughout the days, and probably get a few friends on the line. I'll publish it that evening and just move on. I think it'll be a good mix with our standard programming. We have a lot to cover today, including some match results, a stop by the load lounge, discuss some loading in the technique talk, if that makes any sense, and a quick word from our sponsors, and then we'll finish out with my second home range shoutout. Let's take a look at the match results as they happened in a hybrid mix of the results rundown and make a visit to the load lounge. I shot a quick NRA 50 round match at a reduced 200 yards. I took this time to ensure Hilda likes my recipe of match loads of the Sierra 77s and Burger 80.5s. She did not like the load on the last match with the groups going everywhere, so I found a different accuracy node and wanted to give it a shot. It was a beautiful day. The sun was out, the temps were in the low to mid 80s, and the match director had the wind fan turned way down. No better conditions to really solidify everything as long as I did my part. This is where it kind of became, uh, funny, in hindsight, I suppose. The line officer called the relay to the line for ciders. I set up my equipment and I put on my undershirt. Next was that tight-fitting jacket. I had both sleeves on and I started strapping on the buckles from top to bottom. Around the fourth or fifth buckle down, I started getting stung in my left shoulder bicep area. Ow. Ow, ow. If you heard my last episode, you know my disdain for getting in and out of this jacket. I tried my damnedest to get this thing off like it was on fire. As I'm doing that, I'm continuing to be stung in that area. I thought it was a wasp, for sure, but I was in a panic state of confusion. The shooter next to me was just staring at me casually, wondering what the hell was going on. Off goes my coat. Then off goes both my shirts. Now I'm standing just behind the firing line shirtless, trying to figure out what just happened. The guy next to me now has a smile on his face and sees the culprit. Still hanging out in my shooting jacket was a bumblebee standing her ground. If you're curious, you science nerds, I later found out that male bumblebees cannot sting. Females will sting if bothered, though they're fairly docile. And I learned the exact moment that they don't have barbs and can sting multiple times. I did confirm that later with the all-knowing Googles. Now, I've preached mental focus for the last few episodes, and this situation really demanded my highest amount of concentration to shake, but it was challenging. I still had to run prep and ciders and shoot 10 rounds of offhand, and subsequently overcome this new fear of stinging insects inside my shooting coat. It's like 
getting stuck in your zipper and fearing your pants for the next few days. It's not quite the same, but you know, it's close enough. Thankfully, I was able to forget about this as much as possible, get my sighters downrange, and still shoot a 99 with 4x offhand. Now, the score was really great, and I'll take that any day, but the calls were off. I had called a high 90s score, and I was really happy with my solid hold on that day. I'm extremely thankful, though, that my off-call shots were 10s. As my good friend Jerry would say, may your bad shots be 10s. And they were. By this point in the match, I could tell that the barrel did not like my recipe of loads, though. The rest of the match was a struggle watching shots go off-call. I lost a few points that weren't called, and my sitting and prone positions were really solid, which I was happy about since I had been seeing issues in the past. I finished with the 493 and 18x. It's always bittersweet when your offhand score is better than your position scores, but it really proved a point to me. The load is nowhere near where it should be. Back to the loading bench to figure out what's going on. I'm really not happy that this is the second load that I've tried through the barrel, but that's just part of life. I had an 80 round and 40 round match coming up two days later and enough time to review my load testing data for a secondary accuracy node. Now between these two matches, I was having a bit of an internal struggle whether to bring this new upper to parry or run my old upper that has about 2400 rounds through it. Option A, a newly rebarreled upper with a Bart line barrel, 300 rounds with no real solid loads developed yet, and one more range day left at a league match before parry. Or option B, my older Krieger barrel with 2400 rounds through it, shooting very well at each yard line but probably nearing the end of its high X count life. Well, I decided that at the next 140 round match, I would use the Bart line for the first 80 to see if a different load might work, and then use my old Krieger to make sure everything's still looking good. Hindsight, great idea. The Bart line still wasn't shooting well, again, even in load testing between the 80 and 40 round match. I had strapped up some burgers and different charges and learned that maybe I'm just a poor shooter from the bench. I'm not sure if this stems from having a four power scope, maybe choosing a difficult target to aim for on paper, or just simply not having a lot of experience at the bench. I know this sounds crazy, but I find it challenging with the AR platform. I don't have extensive equipment for setting up at the bench beyond a contoured sandbag for the forward part of the rifle and weighted sandbags for the rear. I had even lightened the trigger by about 2 pounds in hopes of eliminating some trigger yank. Where I'm losing confidence in my ability to bench test is when I'm ready to pull the trigger I have my aiming sight right on the position I'm ready to shoot. Right as the trigger is being pulled, I notice the position changes at the moment the shot goes off. I know this sounds like a duh moment because of recoil, but I'm actually referring to the exact moment right before the round goes off. I've focused on trigger control and consistency, and I'm still struggling here. I also find it difficult to put the aiming point in the reticle on a spot consistently on the target. I'm wondering if next time I need to use either concentric circles like I do in prone or maybe place a higher powered Leopold BR scope on it to get a better picture on target. Any tips would be greatly appreciated here. During the second half of this day's league match, I confirmed that the Krieger is an absolute hammer and it will be used at Camp Perry. I'm confident in its loads which have been shooting well all year. My zeros were already established, and my X count is over the 50% count in positions, and this time I had a 200 with 15X in sitting. Giddy up, Bethel. Let's get on the parry train. As I sit here and watch NASCAR Xfinity race there in New Hampshire, I constantly wonder how close each of these drivers is to losing control of their cars. 
by now you've probably figured out that, yes, I'm a NASCAR fan. I like Kyle Busch. There, I said it. He's my boy. I can't stand Denny Hamlin and Joey Logano. Those guys can go suck one. Everybody else is cool. I'm digressing here. The point I'm making, before my aggressive digression, was that these guys are fairly close to losing traction at the given speed and spinning their cars out on the turns of the racetrack, just ruining their day. While my discussion point here doesn't really carry as much weight or consequence, I relate this topic a little bit to trigger loading. As with most things in my shooting career, I've had a love-hate relationship with trigger loading, but for the last few years it's been a lot of love. When I restarted the high power game a few years ago, I had a national match M1 Garand that had a great trigger during dry fire, but after 10 to 15 rounds in the match, it would start to lose the wall into the second stage. It just became one sloppy pull before it eventually went off. That wasn't great. Nothing like having a surprise shot when you're trying to find the two-stage wall. After fixing the trigger issue, I became more confident in the trigger and slowly and cautiously became more confident with trigger loading. I want to cover the overall idea of trigger loading, the benefits of it, the potential pitfalls, and how to increase your confidence in the technique. So the term that I'm using is trigger loading. I'm not sure if that's the professional technical term, but the idea is that you load the trigger to a point at which an addition of a few more ounces will set the trigger off. Basically operating in the danger zone, as I've heard people call it. I do it for every shot in the match. Every shot. Why? Because I find it beneficial in two aspects. First, to decrease rifle movement at trigger release. Secondly, to decrease the time between your eyes sending the signal to your brain, your brain interpreting the image, the brain deciding that the shot should be taken, and your brain sending the nerve signals to your trigger finger to make it happen. Woof. Basically, we're just getting as close to the finish line as possible when the race starts. In essence, we're lightening the trigger pull when it's time to shoot. Here's how I do it, and we'll use the offhand stage for our description here. After the rifle butt is in my shoulder and I'm coming down on the target, I've already pulled the first stage slack out of the trigger pull. As my eye starts looking down the scope and I'm approaching the target board as my NPA settles, I'm loading that second stage up to about four to maybe four and a quarter pounds. To most people, that would sound a little risky. When I talk about it with others, often I'll see the fear in their eyes and I'll hear something like, no way, dude. I've tried that too often and it goes off on me when I wasn't ready. That's what she said. But realistically, hold the phone here. Is this your rifle? Are you taking it home after the match? Yeah, that's what I thought. You have an opportunity to spend some free time practicing this. You don't even need the full rifle, maybe just the lower. Now I'll mention the not-so-obvious risk here with this is if you're just using the lower, if you pull that trigger with the lower detached from the upper, you run a very, very, very high risk of breaking your trigger hammer. So guard it with your freehand or whatever you want to protect it. I don't recommend the lower only practice, but I guess I can see the convenience factor. Anyway, consider practicing it for 20 or 30 minutes while you watch The Bachelor after work. Start by focusing on the feel of the first stage reaching the wall. Now apply a little more pressure and set off the trigger. At this point, you found the low end and the high end of the pressure spectrum. I really want you to focus on learning the second stage of the trigger. After 10 to 20 pulls, you might even start picking up some unique aspects of your personal trigger. For example, one out of every five pulls or so on mine, I'll notice a bit of creep in the pull. It's just a small bump. 
What you can begin to focus on though is finding a comfortable pressure level to put on the trigger so that it's preloaded with pull, but not at the risk of going off without your consent. One technique that I learned from Dan Lowe was the count off. If I recall correctly, he would use a five point count where one would be just touching the trigger, five would be setting it off. So if we worked from one to five, then two would be the first stage wall, three would be the second stage, adding just a bit of pressure, but not too much, and four would be the last level of pressure you're putting on the trigger before letting it go off in the X ring. This is where I sit during the aiming process. While you're learning this technique, practice this often. Make it part of your home dry firing sessions. Revisit it during the prep period so it's fresh in your mind and you can get a feel for it on match day. Really master this. Not including my dry fire strings, I had over 4,500 rounds fired in competition in the last 18 months. I have absolutely no excuses for not having this technique down cold. Think about it. Try it. Practice it. Master it. And now just a quick word from our sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by Mitch. Thanks, it just says Mitch. It's just a name. Yeah, seriously? Okay, Banks says just read the copy. Okay, today's episode is brought to you by Mitch. Sarah, I miss you. You've gotta be kidding me, Banks. This, this isn't a sponsor. This is just a sorry note to some girl from some sad dude named Mitch. Really? You're joking, the whole episode? Wow, okay. Today's episode is brought to you by Mitch. Sarah, I miss you. You are the one that got away and I should have compared your personality to a cornfield in the winter time. That was wrong. I will try to do more of what you ask and start sitting when I pee? If you can forgive me, please call 555-3040. This is Mitch. Turner. Oh God. Today's rain shoutout is another special one for me. When I returned to shooting after my 14-year hibernation, I was really struggling to find not only a place to shoot, but also a discipline to latch onto. I figured since I was using a National Match M1 Garand, it would probably have to do something with service rifle or vintage matches, so I started the Google searching for matches in my area. I came up with about five ranges within a reasonable driving distance, and I emailed each match director explaining my background and just expressed my interest in taking part, and that I was hoping to get some more information about the day's competition so I knew what to expect. Two directors never responded, so those were out. One responded with the standard, yes, come shoot, which didn't answer quite what I was asking, and one had given me some other good information on an upcoming match. But one director from the Chief City Shooters Club near Pontiac, Illinois in particular, wrote me a very helpful email, encouraged me to come out, put me in contact with one of the other match directors running a vintage match, and offered equipment, rifles, and other various items to help get me started. He really encouraged me to show up, observe the first 35 rounds of the match since it had been a while for me, and then I was encouraged to shoot for the rest of the day. This is how you do it. Take note. In addition to offering these helpful items, he also gave me the names of a few guys shooting the match that day. After the match started, he introduced me to each one of them throughout the match day. He wasn't the only helpful one there. Brad, the vintage rifle match director, brought his M1 Garand and let me shoot it. He even offered to let me shoot his personal M1 with the club's ammo, and he would spot my first few sighters, but I was on my own after the sighting period. 
He even showed me how to don the service rifle sling that day. I still use the exact words he used to put on my slings today. Face the sling towards you, half turn towards the left and put your arm through it. Just like tying a shoelace. As time went on, three or four of them really took me under their wings as well and really welcomed me to the group. I only shot two or three times in 2019, but when the lockdown occurred, I had ample time to get some ammo ready and start shooting a few times per month with these guys. Little did I know, they would become some of my closest shooting pals to this day. This club has kind of become my second home range, if that's a thing. It features 100 and 200 yard ranges, as well as a pistol range with steel targets. For high power purposes, they offer NRA high power matches and CMP vintage matches. They're also active in bench rest and pistol matches, but that's the other side of the world to me, and I'm not going to get into that and sound uneducated. The terrain is semi-protected by the trees, but it does offer wind at most of the firing points, which has been recently expanded. The matches are all walk-in pace style matches, so don't forget to bring your spotting scope. I've seen some great scores shot there, so there's ample competition. Occasionally, there's a cookout after certain matches, and a hangout shed to give some relief from the sun after a long day of shooting. I can't say enough about the folks shooting there. They're welcoming, friendly, helpful, and offer a generous amount of jabbing at each other, which provides some ample entertainment throughout the day. Tug life. It's a beautiful range in a quiet, secluded area, and it will let you leave feeling like you've had a great day on the range. Go check it out. Alright folks, that was a quick one and it's time for me to get back to work. If you have something you'd like to add, please let me know at jp at hphpodcast.com. That's HPH for High Power Hangout. I have a lot to think about over the next few weeks preparing for the national championship and I'm not sure I'll post another episode before getting to Camp Perry. If not, I look forward to seeing everybody there. Good luck, keep your mind pointed in the right direction, and remember to make every single shot count. I'll see you on the next one. <laughs>